right. Good morning. Please stop saying hello to the people around you. We will take the next 45 minutes to not say hello to the people around you. Um, so glad that you're here. Uh, I, uh, my name is Pastor Greg, and I am excited to share with you uh, this next portion of the book of Colossians. And uh, so let me introduce it this way. One of, the, one of the things that I get to do is I get to visit people in the hospital, and I will go and visit people in the hospital uh, as a, uh, from the spiritual uh, care uh, department at the hospital, so not just from uh, Living Faith Alliance Church. So I'll knock on their door and I'll say, hi, I'm, I'm Pastor Greg from the spiritual care department. And a lot of times I'll see this like look on their face, kind of like a terrified look. Uh, do you know why that is? Yes, they think maybe I have some information that they don't have and I'm there to administer last rites. <laughs> I'm like, the Catholic Church doesn't even call them last rites. I don't even administer last rites. So anyway, I, I say hello and I will regularly uh, ask them, uh, how can I pray for you? Like, what can, what can I do? What can I ask God for uh, on your behalf? And I get some uh, interesting responses uh, you know, sometimes it's no, I'm good, I'm good, or uh, no, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't need that. Save it for someone else. I find that to be an interesting one. Like I only have like five good prayers, and they don't want to, they don't want to waste it. Somebody else might need a prayer a little bit more than they do. Um, but sometimes I get I get responses that kind of surprise me. Like, uh, so how can I pray for you? And their response will be. Well, you know, um, my, my nephew is really going through a hard time, and I'd really like it if you'd be, you know, if you'd be willing to pray for, for him as, as he's going through whatever he's got going on at home. And I'm thinking, you're, you're in the hospital. Maybe we should pray over you being in the hospital, right? But what's on their heart, what's on their mind is not, is not their needs, it's it's somebody else's needs. But sometimes I get the opposite response when I say, how can I pray for you? People look at me like, duh, I'm in the hospital. You can pray that I get out of here. Uh, but it's a, very, it's a very interesting moment, right? It's an interesting question when you ask, how can I pray for you? Because what you're asking, right, is and if you believe as I do that, that, that God is, is in charge and that God is powerful, Basically, we're saying, listen, from your vantage point, we're going to ask the most powerful being that has ever existed something, what, what do you need? Like, what, what do you need to get from your mess into whatever future hope that you have? Let's, let's ask the Father. Because he has unlimited resources that he can offer. And so this morning, that's really what... What we want to ask Paul, as Paul looked at the, 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 the church, the Colossians, as he looked at them, he prays something for them. And he looks at them and says, okay, I, my, my heart is for them to grow into maturity. God, what are, what are some things that they need in order for them to mature? Right? That gives us insight into maybe what do we need in order for us to grow up? Right? What should we be praying about for, for us to move into the future that God has for us? And so I want to look at how did the Apostle Paul pray? 
What did the apostle Paul pray for, for a church that needed to grow into maturity so that we could be trained in how do we pray so that we would grow up into maturity? So we're going to be looking at what the apostle Paul prayed. We're actually going to look at a couple things. What does Paul believe about prayer? We're going to get insight into what the apostle Paul believed about prayer. And then what are the three things he prays for to lead the church into maturity? And I, I'm not exaggerating when, when, when I say to you, my desire is that we would actually be trained by this. That we would come out of our time this morning and say, oh, you know, I know. I have a better idea of how to pray towards maturity, right? That's, that's, what, that's my goal for us this morning is that we would, we would learn how to pray through difficult times. And maybe at times you felt like, I don't, I don't really know how to pray about this. Maybe you feel like I don't, I've never prayed before. I don't know how to pray, right? I gotta, I'll give you a hint. If you don't know how to pray, then just pray what people like the Apostle Paul have already prayed Right, just, just mimic their prayers. They're written down for you. That's what Colossians 1, 9 to 12, actually it's Colossians 1, 9 to 14, which we have on the board here. We're gonna cover 9 to 12 today, and we're gonna pick up the, the remaining part. Um, we're gonna pick up the remaining part of uh, verse 12, 13, and 14 uh, next week. But the goal is to be trained. And we're asking the Apostle Paul to, to train us into how to pray in order for us to grow into maturity. All right, so let's read this prayer together. Uh, I'm gonna ask you to stand up as a way of honoring the, the word of God that we're gonna be learning from. And I'll read it to you. This is Colossians 1, verses 9 uh, to 12a. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father. So Father, I ask that as we follow the, the pattern of the Apostle Paul, we would be trained in how to pray. There was a, there was a moment when your disciples, Jesus asked you how, how to pray, how do we pray? And I pray, Father, that we would have that same desire this morning, that you would, you would teach us to pray, and, and we would follow the leadership of the Apostle Paul uh, in how we ask for maturity. So thank you, Jesus. In your name I pray, amen. All right, you can have a seat. So Paul starts out his prayer Paul starts out his prayer, and, and the beginning of his prayer is really going to give us a clue into what does Paul believe about prayer. And so he starts out, and he says, and so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. And so, right, so what, what Paul's doing is he's referring back to, to, to what he just was thanking God for, which is what Isai preached on last week. 
And if you remember, the, the verses preceding verse 9 is he's talking about that the gospel has come to them. The gospel has been alive. It came uh, to the city of Colossae from Epaphras, and the gospel's been growing. It's been at work. So the seed of the gospel has taken root in the community, and it is growing. And, and do you remember the way in which it is demonstrated that the gospel's growing among them? Do you remember? It's that they're loving each other, right? So their love for each other is a demonstration and a testimony that the gospel has taken root. And there's this beautiful work of the spirit of God. And so for this reason, Paul's about to pray. Based on those facts, Paul has some things that he wants to ask God for, right? So because of all of that stuff, that God's already doing among you, Paul is going to Paul's going to pray. And look at how he prays. It says, from the moment, and so, from the day, or from the moment we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. Man, that's a, that's a powerful statement, right? From from the day we heard it, once we got the information from Epaphras that the gospel is alive and at work, we haven't stopped praying for you. We haven't, we haven't ceased in our prayers for you. We're praying on your behalf. I find this interesting that so Paul finds out that the gospel has come to this city. Not only has the gospel come to this city, but it's alive, right? It's, it's, it's leading them to love each other well. And his response to that is not, great, our work here is done. His response to that isn't, hey, let's, let's celebrate and let's move on to the next city. His response is, wow, we got to pray. Like the, the spirit of God is at work. The gospel has, has taken root. We have got, we've got to pray. And by the way, this is a pattern for Paul in his letters, right? He writes to different churches, 13 different churches or 13 different letters. And he's often recording the prayers that he is praying for those churches. And you'll notice that uh, he often praise the things for the churches that he's about to teach them in the rest of his letter, right? which I think is a great model to follow, that we don't just share things with people that we haven't gotten before God on, we haven't prayed about them, we haven't said, God, what is your heart for this group of people? And then out of that prayer, then we, then we share. And this commitment to prayer is not unique to the Apostle Paul. Right? I mean, if you, if you read the Gospels, you see in Jesus' life, right, he's repeatedly, right, he repeatedly gets alone. He goes by himself uh, for times of prayer. I find that interesting that Jesus felt the need to pray. Jesus, who was God, felt the need to be alone with God, to order his thoughts according to the will of God, to seek the face of God, yet I wrestle with prayer, right? How, how strange is that if Jesus needed to be before the Father, how much more so do we need to be, the, be before the Father? So this, this theme of prayer, there's this pattern of Paul, the pattern of Jesus. We're part of the Christian and Missionary Alliance. That's our denomination, right? They have some core values. Their second core value is this. Prayer is the primary work of the people of God. 
right? The, the primary, and what they mean by primary is that it's the first work, right? Like prayer needs to come first. Everything needs to flow out of this place of getting before God, asking for God's uh, intervention, asking for God's leadership. So why is prayer so important to the Apostle Paul, why is it so important to Jesus? Why, is, why has the CMA picked up on it as, as a core value? Well, I think, I think it's this. I think that Paul, I think that Jesus, they're, they're, they are, among many other things, pretty pragmatic, pretty practical people. And I think in the mind of Jesus, in the mind of Paul, they have this conviction that the way God has designed the world is that he moves as his people pray. That's stunning. God, God works, God moves, God does things as his people, as his people pray. And so what Paul is saying is, like, God has, God is, he's seen that God has done this great work of love and the gospel's at work. And so what he says is, I see God's hand, I need to pray. So that continues because God responds to his people and God works as his people pray. So you see, the gospel has taken root, but it's not yet mature for the Colossian believers. Now, let me explain something to you. A couple years ago, I decided to do this wonderful thing, uh, and I was going to plant uh, uh, umbrella magnolia trees and give them as gifts to my family because I was very thoughtful. And my grandmother, uh, who had recently died, she had this beautiful umbrella magnolia out, you know, by her house, and so kind of represented her. And I thought, man, my family is going to love this. So. I got the seeds, I looked up how to, you know, plant an umbrella magnolia, and so I harvested the seeds, and then I had to scourge the seed, and soak the seed, and then plant the seed, and then watch it grow over time. Well, it didn't. I watched it not grow over time, and so by the time Christmas came, I had nothing, nothing to offer them. But for Paul, that's not what's going on here. For Paul, what has happened is the seed has been planted, right? And he's seen it grow. The gospel has started to to, to be at work among the the Colossian believers. And so seeing that, he's saying, "We, we have got to pray. God, you have done this, so we're asking for you to do more. And what's interesting is I won't take the time to, to draw it out, but the, the thanksgiving that Isai uh, led you through last week, those are actually parallel to the things that Paul is going to pray for over the next couple of verses. So the question is, so when we start to see this, what is our response, right? When we start to see the, the, the seed of God's work start to take root, and it's starting to grow, how do, how do we respond? How do we respond when God's work is not yet complete? Right, that's what Paul's looking at. He's looking at a work of God, but it's an incomplete work of God. They're not mature yet. And so I'm curious for you, when you see that, when you see God has done something, but it's not mature yet, how do you, how do you respond? 
What, what do you do when you see God has started to do something, but, but it's not finished? I, I think our tendency is instead of like the Apostle Paul, where we get before God and, and pray, I think our tendency is, uh-oh, we better help that plant grow. Uh-oh, we better get our tool belt on and fix it. We better persuade that, that plant. to. We better guard that plant. And, and so the solution becomes us. And, you know, it was interesting, last, last weekend we had the Impact Summit, which was for leaders, and then we had the, the next day the Parent Summit, which was for uh, people that are investing in the next generation. And the first session of the Parent Summit, how many of you were at the, the Parent Summit and were part of that first session? All right, so in the first session, you'll remember uh, Nate and Sharon were back in town, which was great to have them. They led us through the first session. And Nate led us through this experience of identifying basically this dynamic when as a parent you see something going on and then inside of you right you how do you respond to that parenting puzzle and across the board the response no one said you know what i do is i just pray i get before god and i pray nobody said that everybody's answer was i in some form is i control it Right, I, I, I put my tool belt on, I, I get to work, I ratchet up the pressure, I, I raise my voice, I, you know, I do something to try and take control of the situation to, to, to fix it, to, to make my child grow to maturity. And we take things into our hands. We take good things that God has given us and we take it into our hands and we try to control it. And when we try to control things, here's what happens. It destroys us and it destroys that thing. Right? Because we are not the ones that create the growth. The flesh gives birth to flesh. The spirit gives birth to spirit. So here's what Paul believes about prayer. Is that in prayer, we participate in the work of God changing lives. I think that is a bedrock conviction for the Apostle Paul, that when we pray, we get in on the work of God in transforming lives. And I think that's, that, that's got to become a core conviction for us if we are to be people of prayer, right? The primary work, the first work of God, of God's people is prayer. And prayer is an act of worship. It is a statement about the authority of God over all things. It is a statement of, God, if you don't work, this can't grow. Now, I'm not saying God can't work apart from prayer. I'm simply saying that he chooses not to. God invites us to participate with him, right, in changing things. And he invites us to participate with him through prayer. And I believe that's the core conviction of the Apostle Paul. That's what he believes. So when he looks at the church... Of Colossae and says, how are they going to get to maturity? I hear the gospel's growing. I hear that there's this little seed of the gospel and it's taking root. What do I need? I don't need to show up. I don't need to be present there. What I need first, primarily, is I need to not stop praying for them. Right? I, I have not stopped praying. I, I am in continual prayer over this church. And then there's three things there's three things that the Apostle Paul prays, all right? Three things. 
So that's what we're going to spend the rest of our time looking at. What are these three things? I want to move through them rather quickly because my goal is to spend some time training us in how we pray towards maturity. So there's three things that the Apostle Paul prays for, and I'll break it down this way. It's knowledge, holiness, and spiritual power. So he's going to pray for knowledge, holiness, and spiritual uh, and spiritual power. So we're going to start with spiritual power. We're going to work backwards through these. So we're going to skip to the end uh, and go to verse 11 and then 12a, which says, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to God the Father. Right? So this is the end of the prayer. Everything is building to this point. And what he's building towards is that we would have strength, spiritual strength, spiritual power, right, for, for the journey that we are walking in. Just know this, to grow in maturity requires spiritual power. You cannot do it on your own. We need his power, right? You see that? Be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, right? So it's something, <clears throat> it's something that is coming from God to you. And the road is long, right? That's why we need God's might. And you know this. I mean, some of you are carrying desires that have been decades old, right? That, that, that are things that have not yet come to maturity, you know, anytime I go through a, uh, anytime I work with someone in a discipline case, like a church discipline case where there's repentance and there's a path set out, right? And we, we lay out the path and we're like, you understand that, you know, what, what God is calling you to here? Yeah, I get it. And then like a week goes by and they're discouraged, right? And, and then we say, remember, this is the, oh yeah, that's the path, right? And then they get back on the path. Another week goes by, right? What they need is, they need strength because the road is long. It requires endurance. It requires patience. And that can only come from God. That can only come uh, from his glorious, his glorious might. And then Paul ends this section with giving thanks to our Father. And the reason he thanks our Father is because the Father is the one who has provided everything. Right? At the end... He comes to the point of saying, all of this has come from God. It's come from our Father. This is all the work that God has done. And what I want you to see is, if he's thanking God at the end, is that there's this interconnectedness between all the things that, that Paul is praying for. So in other words, and we'll see this more and more, is that knowledge is going to lead to holiness, and holiness is going to lead to spiritual power. So at the end, we can say all of this, thank you, God, for that. Because it's all going to come, it's all going to come from God. So the second thing that Paul prays for, right, the second thing he prays for is holiness, right? So Paul prays for, Paul prays for holiness. Uh, now we back up to verse 10. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. That's walk, the, the, the imagery there is you're walking in step with God. You're walking, you're walking in communion with God. So holiness is walking according to the steps 
of the Father, discerning his movements. It's very much like a, like a dance, right? I'm not talking about the junior high dances, or this is really the way I dance with someone. That's about as you know, good as I can. I'm talking like real dance, where there's someone who takes the lead and someone follows, right? And they take the lead by just hints and nudges, right? Like, have anyone ever seen Joe and Nancy Gillespie dance? They can dance, right? They dance like that, right? So, so there's one who's taking the lead and one who's following. Walking in a manner worthy of the Lord is like following his lead in a dance. You are attentive to his nudges, to his leans, to his inclinations. I love this. I love this next thing. How does God feel about us following his lead in that dance? What does it say? It is fully pleasing to him. Now, one of the things that I I love to do and I can still do this with my youngest daughter, is she can be on my feet, right, in a dance. It's not a good dance because I'm leading, but she can be on my feet, and you know how I feel about it? It is fully pleasing to me. It is an absolute delight. That's what God is saying. As we walk in a manner worthy of King Jesus, when we walk in a manner that is worthy of his steps, his patterns, he delights in that. It is fully pleasing to our Father. I, I don't know if you knew that. Like, did you know that, that, that our obedience to the, to the word of God, the command of God is a delight for God? Like, he's not a tyrant. He's not angry. He's not grumpy. Right, he delights as we, as we follow his lead and, and we walk with him. And I want you to know that when we walk in patterns of unrighteousness, when we say no to God's leadership, that's what we're saying no to. Like we're saying no to that kind of delight. We're saying no to that kind of joy. God's commands are, they're not, they're not arbitrary rules. They are actually, this is, this is what it means for me to, to lead you. And God is inviting us to follow. And it is a joy for him when we follow his lead. And this sort of intimacy, this sort of relationship, this sort of uh, communion with God bears fruit then in every good work and then increases the knowledge of God, right? So, so the result of walking in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, right, is, is that it bears fruit. It's, it's the picture of abiding in the vine and there's health and, and we bear fruit in that place of communion with God. I want you to see something else is that there's a bit of a spiral here because the next thing we're gonna talk about uh, is the first thing Paul prays, which is in verse nine, that we're gonna pray for knowledge. So you see in verse nine, uh, there's a little spiral and this is what happens. We get the, we, we, we want the will of God, which comes through, or we, we get filled with the knowledge of God's will. And then one of the results of that is we walk in a manner worthy of him and we start bearing fruit, which then increases the knowledge of God, right? So there's this, there's this spiral that happens. Let me, let me say it another way. 
right? So uh, in verse 9, right, so we understand knowledge, which leads us to holiness, and then holiness leads us to a greater understanding of God's will, right? And then as we understand a greater understanding of the will of God, we walk in more holiness, which increases our understanding of the knowledge of God. So as we follow him, we get to know him more. And as we know him more, we follow him more. And as we follow him, we get to know him more. And so there's this cycle of of, of continuing to grow in the revelation of God. Okay, now this is where it all starts. The first thing that Paul prays for as he leads this church into maturity is knowledge, right? Revelation. What they need is there's something that they need to know. And it is this knowledge that leads to all of these other gifts from God. So he starts out by asking that we would be filled with the knowledge of his will. Filled with knowledge. You hear in that, right, Paul's desire again for maturity to be filled up right, to ever increasing in terms of our knowledge of the will of God. This same theme of being filled up comes over, <clears throat> comes up at least six or seven times in this short letter of the book of Colossians, right? So Paul is longing for maturity for them to be filled up. The reason he wants them to be filled up is they're not mature yet. That needs to be our understanding of ourselves, is we are not mature yet. Have you ever tried to instruct someone who perceives themselves as mature? It is exasperating. You need to know this. No, I don't. Like, huh? Yes, you do, right? So like what Paul is saying here is like, I want you to be filled up and you're not filled up yet. You're not mature yet. Living Faith Alliance Church, we're not mature yet. The gospel is alive and at work in us, yes. It is beautiful and it is good. We are not mature yet. Also, I want you to see that um, this filling up, the, the, the verb here uh, is passive, which means we're not actively filling ourselves up. We are being filled up. This is a work of God. It takes God to know God. So this is something that God does, is he fills us up. He fills us up with knowledge of his will. Knowledge of his will. This whole prayer is about us getting the knowledge of God's will. Like if we get this, we get everything else. Now why is the knowledge of God's will so important. Well, let me, let me try and explain it this way. For someone who is a theist, that means that they believe, in, they believe in a God, right? And if you believe in a God, as I believe in a God who is active and has purposes and determines the ordering of this world, if you believe in a God like that, that lies behind the events that are on planet Earth and gives shape to life's consequences, one of the most desirable objectives would be, what does he want? What, what is he up to? What is, what is God's will? And knowing the will of God who is above all things and in every moment, 
To know his will gives us insight and reassurance into what is going on in the world around us. Therefore, it would help us to direct our conduct to know what is, what is God's will. I mean, Jesus repeatedly prays according to the will of God, longing for the will of God. He said, I only do the, the things that I see my father doing, right? So as he sees the will of God being played out, that's what he joins in on. Early Christians repeatedly are asking to know the will of God. So how, according to this, do we get to know the will of God? Here's my favorite part of the message. You ready? Here's how we get to know the will of God, which is so central to all things. We get to know it because we get spiritual wisdom and understanding. Spiritual wisdom and understanding. It's wisdom and understanding that is marked by the Spirit of God. Now, before the Holy Spirit came, the people of God would know the will of God through the law, right? Through the, through the commands of God. Or occasionally through a man filled with the Holy Spirit, right? Or a woman filled with the Holy Spirit that would speak on behalf of God to the people. But since the resurrection of Jesus, a new way has been opened up to the people of God where they can know the will of God because of the spirit of God that is residing in them. Romans 12, 22, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So your mind being renewed by the spirit of God informs you of the will of God. So that we would have, right, all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to know what is the will of God. So what is spiritual wisdom? Let me explain it this way. And wisdom is not just the ordering of values, right? That's a good Greek understanding of wisdom. But I believe the way Paul is using wisdom here is connected with what comes up a little bit later in the chapter where this mystery of God is being revealed. And the mystery of God being revealed is the work of salvation. Right? So spiritual wisdom is this, is how is the gospel at work in this moment? What, what is Jesus redeeming? What is on his heart to make right with God? And so as we start to discern through the spirit of God where the gospel is at work, where Jesus is redeeming something, we have access, we have insight to know what the will of God is. That's spiritual wisdom and understanding. So you say, God, what, what is your will? And then we start to look and we, and we slow down and we're seeking the will of God and we start to discern that the gospel is at work in this particular area and redemption is happening over in this. And we say, that's where God is at work. And we start to discern the will of God because we're getting spiritual wisdom and understanding. Recently, I was wrestling with a decision. Honestly, I just did not know what to do. And I was praying with, our, with the pastor's team and we were talking about it. I was going back and forth. God, what, what is your will was the question I was wrestling with. 
And then as we prayed together, God gave discernment in regards to, but Greg, here's the implications of the gospel if we go this particular route. And once God gave clarity about the mystery of Jesus revealed in redemption, I knew what the will of God was. And, and repeatedly, I'm, I'm seeing this over and over again as I talk to different people and they're trying to discern what is, the, what is the will of God. And so if God gives us spiritual wisdom as to what is it that he's redeeming, where do we see him at work? We say, that's the will of God. I'm gonna get on board with that. So, so to trace the path of the will of God, we trace it through wisdom and understanding in the revelation of where is Jesus at work. And you might ask, well, why is that? Why, why is it that if we look at wisdom and understanding, we're gonna see where Jesus is at work and we'll understand the will of God? Well, the answer is in Isaiah chapter 11. Listen to, listen to the description of Jesus. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, a branch from his root shall bear fruit, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might. Right, so, so the, the spirit of Jesus is a spirit of wisdom and understanding. And so when we see him at work in a situation, we can start to discern what the will of God is. All right, I wanna end our time with teaching you how to pray this through. And so before we get to, before we get to prayer, before we get to a time of prayer here at the end, uh, what I wanna do is really remind us of what Paul thanks God for at the beginning of the prayer, where he's thanking God for what? He's thanking God for the gospel that has taken root in this particular church, and then he leads uh, into praying towards maturity. And so that's what I wanna do right now is let the worship team remind us of the reality of the gospel, of what God has done, of how he's rescued, of who he is. And then after they lead, I'm gonna come back up and, and walk us through how we can use this tool in terms of praying towards maturity. Would you stand with us?